0: And now, here's the episode. Good morning. Good to see you. Good to be with you guys. Hope you're, hope you're doing well. Um, I, have a, I have just a little bit of chest congestion here. That's why I'm using the handheld. If you, It's a really bad situation to have a coughing fit while having a microphone attached to your face, so just in case that happens, not been much of that, but if it does, that's what that's for, and and if you're new, or maybe you haven't spent a lot of time in church, you might not know what to do, if I do have a coughing fit, you just go, mmm, bless him, Lord, and then we move on, let's practice that, shall we, let's go, one, two, three, see, some of you forgot the mmm, and that's what it's all about, we're going to have to do that one more time, come on now, Ooh, I felt that one. That was good. I like it. I feel, I think I'm better now, actually. that's That was great. We should all just take turns, and each of you just hear that and wash over you. That's really good. Okay, um, well, we are uh, starting a new slash old series because we've been working our way through the book of Galatians, and uh, now we're in the third kind of chunk. We've, as, If you've been around and you know, we've sort of been uh, working for several months now our way through Galatians, and we've been doing it in, in three chunks, chapters one and two, then we did chapters three and four, and, and now we're starting uh, the third one, chapters five and six. So um, I guess that means we're just, here we are, guys, we're back to talking about circumcision. So here we, here we go again. Uh, <laughs> if you're new, that deserves an explanation, doesn't it? Let me give it just a, a quick one. Uh, there's a summary. Uh, it goes like this. There's a, there's a group of people in uh, the church in Galatia who are teaching uh, that faith in Jesus doesn't save us. Uh, what they're saying is that we need instead to have faith in Jesus and to keep all of the Old Testament laws or uh, all the Mosaic laws, things like that. And Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians in order to correct that false teaching. So that's, that's what we're doing here. And then in Judaism... Uh, circumcision is a lot like baptism. It is it is a marker uh, that signifies that you're Jewish um, and that you've signed on to follow all the law of Moses and all of that. And and just like in, in our context, baptism um, is a sign that you're a Christian and that you have signed on to, to follow Jesus. Um, and for the first four chapters, Paul has explained that uh, this idea that we have to do certain things like circumcision or keep parts of the law or really any, anything at all in order to be accepted by God is actually a really dangerous idea. See, this group, let see if we can summarize it this way. This group insisted that you begin with obedience to God, you add to that faith in Jesus, and then you get salvation. And what Paul has been doing, very important, is saying, hey guys, those are the right ingredients. You just got them in the wrong order. Uh, You begin with faith in Jesus. That gives you salvation. And then as a gracious response to the free gift of that salvation, it leads to obedience. So um, Paul isn't saying that obeying the rules doesn't matter. What he's saying is the way that you obey. The why of your obedience matters a whole, whole lot. So here's what I mean by that. There's this um, uh, Puritan phrase I find really helpful. Uh, God loveth adverbs, okay? God loveth adverbs. This This is actually really helpful to me. A verb, of course, when you do something, an adverb describes what you're doing, okay? Those are the words that end in ly most of the time, so enough of the English lesson. God cares about adverbs, Here's the thing, you can be incredibly devout, you can live your life in submission to the Lord, you can be incredibly obedient to all the things and check all the boxes and do it fearfully and the whole thing will be an affront to the gospel and an offense to God. You can do all the right things and check all the boxes, but if ultimately you're doing it because you're afraid that if you don't do it or you don't do it well enough or long enough or right enough, if you don't have enough of your life together the way it needs to be, then you'll be rejected, you'll be cast out. Then ultimately that's a fear-based religion, and it's not at all the religion that we have as the people of Jesus. And so you can do the whole thing fearfully and it be an offensive an affront to the Lord. Or on the other hand, uh, you can do all those same things in the same way and do it joyfully. You can do it joyfully. You can do it gratefully uh, because you recognize that you have, not by works, but by grace through faith been given salvation that you could never earn on your own. And as a result of that, you will want to live well for the Lord. You will want to live in obedience to Him. This is a very important distinction. If you if you obey and do the things that way, joyfully, gratefully, then that obedience is worship to the Lord. It is pleasing to the Lord. This is like any any parents not looking for begrudging submission. I don't want my kids to obey me because I'm bigger than they are, and that's not going to last much longer anyway. Uh, I want them to do that because they honor me, all right? And, and the same thing with our Lord. The difference here in this, I want you to, if this is not just semantics, this is a huge deal, it's kind of everything. It's the difference between our best efforts being worship to the Lord uh, versus our best efforts being literally offensive to the Lord. But anyway, that was the first four chapters. And now here in the last two chapters, there's a there's a really big pivot. He's still going to talk about circumcision more than seems necessary, but there is still a really important pivot. He's kind of, at this point, made his theological arguments, and now he's focusing in on what that actually looks like in our lives. What does it look like? And If we live our lives as a response of gratitude for what Christ has done for us, then, then what kind of seed will we be throwing? And then, and then what will be the harvest? What will we reap as a result of of that. So that's the shift that we're making now. So let's look to the text for today. Galatians chapter 5, 1 to 6. We'll start with verse 1. So Christ has truly set us free. So let me just stop right there. And don't worry, I'm not going to stop every seven words. But no, let's stop right here for just a second. If we just, if we needed to just take one sentence that summarizes the entire letter to the Galatians, that would be it. That's it. Like, this is the theme of the entire, this is the whole point that sits above them all. Christ has truly set us free, all right? Now, make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. So what Paul is doing here is acknowledging um, that this, this notion of salvation through faith and not through works or through us checking the boxes, it's a really slippery notion. It's, it's hard to get hold of. And once you get it, once you get your head around, oh wait, I'm not doing this because I'm afraid of what will happen if I don't. I'm doing this because I'm grateful that I don't have to be afraid. Once you get that idea, it changes everything, but it's slippery. It's hard to hold on to because it's so easy for us to get caught back into earning and shoulda, woulda, coulda, and God's mad at me. And so he's just saying, guys, if you've got it, Hold on to it. Hold on. Fight for it. Now, verse 2. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you're trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, You've been cut off from Christ, pun intended. You've been cut off from Christ. You, it is. The pun is intended. It's not my notes. I shouldn't have said it. Whatever. It's still part of what he's doing. Ah, I, okay, coming back. Uh, you've been, darn it. Verse 4, let Let's start at the beginning. For if you're trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Now, this I know sounds super intense and kind of heavy heavy-handed, Um. That's intentional, and it's altogether appropriate. He's saying, look, if you put your hope in anything else, then you haven't put your hope in Jesus. Like, that's the litmus test, right? So the, the big sort of scary fancy church word for this is apostasy. Apostasy is abandoning one faith in favor of another one. Now, as we've said all along the way, uh, the Galatians almost certainly don't think that that's what they're doing at all right? They haven't thought, well, we're done with Jesus. I'm going to move away from this. Uh, what they're probably thinking is, okay, there's some former Jews in our church and they seem to really care about us, you know, doing some of this Jewish stuff. So, all right, fair enough. We'll go along to get along. We can do some things. We can celebrate some feasts. We can we could do some stuff. I mean, circumcision seems like a big ask, but fair enough. If that's what it takes, and then, you know, We'll go along to get along. Jesus is the prince of peace. He would probably want us to make peace. So let's do that. That's, where, that's what they're thinking. And that's why Paul's warning here is so stark and so intense and so necessary. Because what they didn't realize is that any sense in which we are good in order to be saved, as opposed to our goodness being a response of gratitude because we're already saved, It cuts away at the very heart of the gospel. If it's not by grace through faith alone, then it's a different religion altogether. Altogether! I'm not saying maybe this room or this church, but in a lot of churches, there are people (laughs) who are practicing a different religion altogether and they have no idea. They're trying to earn their way, it's fear based. Um, and they're missing the very, again, the very core. Okay, verse five. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness that God has promised to us. Now, there's there's so much packed in this little verse. I don't want us to run past it. Uh, what he's talking about here um, is something that's very often called the already and the not yet, okay? So uh, if you've been around our church for any amount of time, that's really familiar language. We use it a whole, whole lot. Um, Here's a summary. If you're a Christian, then that means you've put your faith in Jesus, okay? And when we do that, it's very clear in Scripture, God applies the righteousness of his son, Jesus, to us. It is is imputed to it. It is is placed upon us. It is given us. We are made. You are made righteous when you put your faith in Jesus, period. And that's a fact, okay? It's done. It's a reality. It's true. It's true right now. We have a hard time accepting or holding on to this truth. It's true right now. Children of God, you stand righteous and holy before God right now. You're not excited enough, so I'm going to read you a verse. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That's true. All right. It's true. You're righteous. Got it? Okay. Also, don't be ridiculous. You're not righteous. Are you kidding me? I know you people. Okay, like, come on. I know me. Like you're not righteous? That's a ridiculous thing to say. You can't say that. In fact, the Bible says you can't say that. I'm going to read you a verse. First John chapter 1 verse 8. If we claim to have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Like, come on. Come on. Okay, so we have what's called a paradox, don't we? Where two things that appear to be at odds with one another are true at once. Some people really hate paradoxes. That's we don't, I don't, I don't like that. It feels like mystery. But let me remind you of something G.K. Chesterton said. He was very smart and could put a sentence together. He said this, a paradox is truth standing on its head screaming for attention. Usually, when we start when we read something in Scripture and we feel a mystery in there, we want to dismiss it. Um, but mystery is not the absence of truth; it's the presence of more truth than we currently comprehend. That's what we find when we see mystery in Scripture. So let's talk about this paradox because it's great. If you're a child of God, you have been made righteous. Period. Your destiny is secure in the great equation. It has already been declared to be so. You are holy, just as we read. But you are not yet living fully into that reality, are you? Not yet. That's the already and the not yet. Spiritual formation, which is another thing we talk about a whole lot around here, is the process by which we come to live more fully into that reality. And as a direct result, we become more joyous and more free. And that process is ongoing through this life, and it does come to a place of completion when we see Jesus. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Dear friends, we're already God's children. That's done, secure, set. It's done. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do not, But we do know that we will be like him for we will see him as he really is. So there's this great hope out there for us, this great hope. We will be like him, truly righteous and living into fully that reality. And that's what Paul is talking about here in this verse. Back to our main text here, uh, chapter five, verse five, where he says, but we who live by the spirit, we eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. Right now, verse six, for when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. Okay. <laughs> he, he's saying for all this talk of this weird word, believe it or not, this really isn't about circumcision because it's just not what it's about. And then he adds, what's important is faith expressing itself in love. Let's work on this verse. Let me re- remind you, um, this will be some review for many of you, but it's uh, important, so, so stay with me. Um, let me remind you of one of our previous studies as we've been working our way through Galatians. This is Galatians chapter 2, uh, verse 16 says this, very important verse. We have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. Well, that's really a picture of what it means to, to come to faith in Jesus, to, to be saved. And, and the key words there are belief and faith, all right? We've believed in Christ Jesus, we've placed our faith in Christ Jesus. Belief and faith, those are the key words, the key ideas. But the thing is, stay with me here, most people think of faith and belief as being interchangeable. Like they're synonyms, like they're synonyms. No, <laughs> they're not synonyms. Um, now, in English, sure, we use them interchangeably. Oh, I have faith in this, or I believe in this. We use them as if they are synonyms. But in Greek, which is the language in which this was written, no, not even close. So, let's parse it out. If you believe in Jesus, you believe that he's the Son of God, you believe that he died for your sins, you believe that he rose from the dead so that you might have life, that means that you believe the story. And that means that you have Confidence that Jesus can, in fact, be your Savior. But look at the text. Look at verse 16 again. That doesn't make you saved. It's our faith that makes us right with God. It's our faith. We're saved by grace through faith, not belief. Again, faith is a different concept than belief. And the real meaning of this faith, biblical faith, is almost entirely lost in our context. So let's work on that. Uh, the Greek word here, you may have heard me say this before, again, it's review, but super important. The Greek word here that's translated faith is pistis. That's right, a weird sounding word. Um, the Latin version of that same word is fide. That's where we get the word fidelity or faithfulness, faithfulness. The best translation for that word, uh, pistis, is actually allegiance. That's what captures really the essence of the word. If faith just means belief and not allegiance or faithfulness or surrender or lordship, then we're actually missing a whole, whole lot. In using the word faith as a synonym for belief, the fact is we have robbed it of most of its meaning, most of its power. This might sound familiar, but let's do it again. Um, If I say I have faith in this stool, what I'm really saying in English here is that I believe in this stool. I'm not afraid to sit on it because I'm confident that it can hold all of my pounds, okay? got it. It's got it. We're good. We're safe. It'll hold me. I believe in this stool. I do not mean that I will remain faithful to this stool, Not at all. I get around, man, I don't care. I'll sit in any stool that'll hold me. I'm not even shy about it. In fact, here, look at this. Not too long ago, I found a new, beautiful, shiny, colorful stool, and I thought, I like that one better. I'm gonna sit here. Mmm, it's nice and cool. Love it. I don't care, I didn't betray anyone. I'm not faithful to this stool. I just believe that it has the capacity to hold me. Just because I believe in this stool does not mean that I am faithful to it. You cannot separate faith and faithfulness. It's not the way the Bible talks about it. The way a lot of Christians talk about it, sure. The way in English, sure. But in Scripture, no. So let's think about my wife. If I said to her, I have faith in you, but I do not intend to be faithful to you, that would not go well. To have faith in Jesus, then, is not to simply state your belief to a series of doctrines. To state your belief in Jesus as a Savior who is capable of giving you eternal life. Like, I have faith in this stool being capable of holding me up. To have faith in Jesus is to promise that you will be faithful to Him. It's pledging your allegiance to Him as your Lord. It means you'll be faithful, like married people are supposed to be faithful. That's how you enter into the covenant of marriage, and that's how you enter into a covenant with Jesus. That's how you're saved. Now, with all that in mind, back to our main text, verse 6, for when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, our pistis, our allegiance, our surrender, we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. Like, that's not even the point. This is why, weirdly, another weird thing, the Bible talks about circumcision of the heart. That's Romans chapter 2, and I read that, I'm like, Paul, don't say that, it's so weird, but... The point that he's making, it's actually really clear. What matters is our hearts. Well, what matters is where we place our de- our devotion. Are we faithful to Jesus? Have we pledged our allegiance to him or not? Or have we simply signed on for a series of doctrinal beliefs? Yeah, I believe he did this. I believe he did that. I believe he did that. Great. But it's our faith that saves us. Our allegiance to a king and a kingdom. And then he adds, verse 6, what is important is faith, that allegiance, expressing itself in love? Now look folks, uh, especially if you're a church kid and you've been around doing this church thing for a long time, sometimes we have a tendency we just read the Bible and chapter and verse and we're just kinda humming right along. And and something sometimes something really important, really fundamental, we'll read it and just keep trucking. Can we can we not do that right now with this phrase? what's important is faith expressing itself in love just before I start talking about it can you just that's what that's what matters that's, that's what's important And sometimes we could just do the day to day, the week to week, the month to month, the year to year thing uh, as Christians, and we can lose sight of what's really important. We can lose sight of what's of what really matters. Sometimes we can just keep left foot right foot doing our thing without thinking about it, and end up in like a trance, and we have to be shaken out of it and brought back to reality. And go, wait a minute, this is what I'm doing. This is what matters. This is who I am. This is what I've signed up for. But it's it's easy for us to just let the most fundamental things fade into the background. And we end up in a trance. We need to be shaken out of it. The, the fact is... I, I <laughs> This happens to me all the time on a bunch of different levels because I'm I'm spacey. I just, I I am. I like to think that it's because I'm thinking great thoughts, but I'm not. That's not what it is. I'm just, whoop, squirrel, gone. There, I'm gone for a while because I saw a thing or had an idea. So I can be really, and sometimes I have these moments where I am just missing the most obvious, like the most patently obvious thing. And it's like, oh boy, how did I end up here? All right, so let me tell you a stupid story about that. I went to a, it was a large place, a large public bathroom. I went to the bathroom, doing what people do in the bathroom. And while I'm in there, I hear a strange sound. I, I hear um, a baby, then I smell a stinky diaper, and then I hear the, um, the baby changing table open up. And here's my thought. I thought, well, that's pretty cool, because, you know, in a, in a men's bathroom, you don't actually hear a lot of baby changing tables. Usually women are changing the diapers, right? And that's not the way it should be. So I kind of had this moment where I was like, "Hey, new hope for humanity. A man is changing a diaper in a public bathroom." I love that. And then I hear the and then I hear then I hear what sounds for the world like a like a female voice. And then I have this thought I'm in a woman's bathroom. I am in a woman's bathroom. And you might think, oh, that's, you know, people do silly things. It's a funny story. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm a pastor. Like, that's how rumors get started. This could be a career ender, you know? Like, I'm, I'm panicking. I'm going, how do I get out of here? Is there, like, a really effeminate way I could walk out and maybe no one will notice? Is, uh, can, I, can I wait till they close and leave in the cover of darkness? This is where I'm at. And then it dawns on me. This whole time, I have been standing in front of a urinal. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, there are no urinals in women's bathrooms. I'm in a full-scale panic because I think I'm in a women's bathroom while standing in front of a urinal. I know a lot of things have changed. There still aren't urinals in women's bathrooms. And there I stood in front of a urinal wondering if I was losing at all. And I think the most, I mean, literally right there in front of my face, (laughs) the most obvious thing, and I just need to, okay, I need to snap out of it. The most obvious evidence is right in front of me, okay? So we're like that sometimes. Sometimes we miss the forest for the trees. So look, if you're a Christian, if you're, what we're talking about, if you're on this journey into Uh, living more deeply into the reality of righteousness that you have been given, if that's you, then come on, let's just hit pause here for a minute and ask something absolutely fundamental. Is your faith being expressed in love? Would any neutral, objective, outsider Looking in, if asked to describe your life, would they, without hesitation, go, oh, that is a person who's marked by love? I know that they're a Christian because of their love. They, they are unique in this context, in this world, because at every step, at every phase, at every moment, they are loving their neighbor. Because Paul said that's what's important. And sometimes we can get so caught up in what's secondary and miss what's actually the most important. So if you think of that and you go, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm a nice person, I'm a Christian, I've expressed, yeah, I love people. Good. Cool. I'm going to push a little bit more, though. Just in case. Just I believe you, but just in case. Let's just say, hypothetically, that, uh, and I would, th- I would assume this of many, if not all of you, um, let's say that you uh, are a Christian, you love Jesus, you love his word, and the Bible has appropriate final authority in your life. It's the final arbiter on all issues. You study it, and what the Bible teaches, you embrace as true. I would say, well done, and good job by you. And because of that, you have what we would, what we would consider to be biblically informed sexual ethics. Right, that's a hot topic, right? So you've biblically informed sexual ethics. What the Bible says about sex and sexuality, the appropriate context and confines for that, you you embrace those things. You, you hold on to that truth. What the Bible teaches about sex and sexuality, you're on board with. And to that I would say, right on, man. It's a tough context to hold on to that. That, that includes at least a handful of unpopular opinions. Good job by you. Now, again, would any objective outsider neutral person looking into your life would they say unequivocally that the fact that you have biblically informed sexual ethics that that works its way out the communication of those positions works its way out into the watching world in a way that is unmistakably defined and marked by love or would they say something different You can be right and be so wrong. I can be, we can be so right and so wrong if we miss what's most important. Let's say, I can't believe I'm saying this. This actually turns it up a little bit more. Let's say that you have biblically informed political viewpoints. Your understanding of political positions has been shaped by the teaching of God's word. You've given it authority and it speaks into your political perspective. Good job by you. Now, would a neutral, objective, outside observer say, in no uncertain terms, that the expression of your political viewpoints is marked by love? If not, so what if you're right? Who cares? Honestly, who cares? The text doesn't say that holding correct political views is what matters. It says that what matters is faith expressing itself in love. Remember, faith in Jesus is about pledging your allegiance to a king and a kingdom. God is that king, and he is love. And his kingdom is a kingdom of love period, if your life day to day doesn't look like faith expressing itself in love, then friend, you, you've, you've lost the plot. And if, and look, I know I'm, I'm, you guys are awesome, <laughs> so like maybe one sliver of one of you this would apply to, but if you think being correct means that you can then in turn have a license to be arrogant or condescending or rude or unkind or just plain mean, man, you, miss, you lost the plot. You lost know, the plot, and like I said, I know this room. This is a profoundly loving church, profoundly kind humans in this room, and for so very many of us, I'm so grateful for this. This love is the genuine expression of your faith. But just in case, let's just stop and ask ourselves: if there might be, we might need to be shaken out of something. Maybe just a little bit, like. So I, I, I talked about sexual ethics. I talked about politics. Maybe, maybe that's the thing for you. Maybe we have already sort of hit on it. Like, not for me. Like, like, if you disagree with me politically, my response will probably be like, oh, you're probably right then. Okay. And then the next person will tell me something different. I go, I don't know. They sound right now, too. I don't know. That's okay. So it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't get me. It doesn't make my heart beat. Okay. Okay. But other things do. For me, usually, it's it's actual, it's situations, it's circumstances, it's people that I love being threatened, it's people that I care about in horrible situations, it's 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 evil, it's loss, it's tragedy, and and like. So, is there some gnarly situation that you're uh, you're facing in your life that you might not be addressing with love? Um, is there a subject? You know, a conversation that transform you into someone who doesn't represent your king and his kingdom very well. I mean, a lot of people were entirely honest. We'd be like, I represent Jesus well uh, in all aspects of my life, uh, except for this one subject. <laughs> okay, so what's that? What, what, what about, what about that? And a lot of times in these situations, we just feel stuck. We don't know what to do. If I, if I say something, wrong. If I don't say something, wrong. If I do something, it's wrong. If I don't do something, it's wrong. And you just feel, you feel stuck. I don't know what to do. Here's the thing. I don't know your circumstances. I don't know your situation. I do know this. When you're stuck going, I don't know what to do. We do know this. At least we know that our response should be marked with love. That we can start with, and that we never move away from. And if the answer pulls us away from that, as defined by Scripture, not by culture, then Then we can abandon that as an option. That's the seed that we're putting out into the world. That's the harvest that we will reap in return. So um, let's just do for a second here a little bit of inventory. Just just you and your own mind, like review the challenges that you're facing. Review the subjects that you're frustrated by. Like some of you have like sports induced insanity. Some of you, some of you said things yesterday (laughs) that no human should ever say. But far more seriously, like some people have like, you know, political or, you know, whatever. Like, it's like, yeah, I I have this, I have have this, all the fruit of the spirit goes draining out of my body when this subject hits. Okay, all right, fair enough. It's a wake-up call. Shake out of it. What matters is, faith expressed through love. Your allegiance to Jesus expressed through you in love. So what are those things? What are the the subjects you get ooh, or the challenge that you're facing or the, the stuff that you're fighting for? Okay, let me, would you go ahead and stand as you're able for for prayer? It's weird having two stools. I just feel like I keep moving the furniture around. Let's do a couple things at first. Um, let's talk about faith in Jesus. If you have said, and I want you to personally and seriously consider just, you know, does this apply to you? If you have said, yes, I have faith in Jesus, but what you've actually meant by that is you have faith in Jesus like you have faith in the chair that you were just sitting in. This is a capable chair. I will rest my weight upon it. Jesus seems like logically, the best option, a capable Savior. I believe in that. I've been told these doctrinal statements. I believe them. Jesus is a capable Savior, and I have faith that He's capable of saving me, and I would like to be saved. If that's you, then I would say, man, that is a great start. It's a really great start. And I would like to encourage you now to do something actually quite different than that is to add to that belief, faith. To pledge your allegiance to him as your king. To bow your knee in total surrender. To give your full faithfulness to a king and a kingdom. And be saved. So if that's you, if you go, yeah, actually, I think that might be where I'm at. I just want to encourage you, God is so eager to welcome you into his family. And he's not mad that maybe you were confused by terminology, that in our context and in our language, we've turned words into synonyms that aren't synonyms. like, okay, God understands. But here's the real invitation, faith and belief, allegiance and belief to a king. And if you've not yet done that, it it really is a matter of just simply doing that, Lord. I believe and I put my faith in you Um. now for the rest of us as for that inventory hopefully you got that that list in your mind or the thing or a couple of things what's really important is faith being expressed in love how's, how's that going how's it going you're really struggling, if you're fighting to maintain the fruit of the Spirit, to be loving in a category or a subject or a situation, I I just want to encourage you, would you just cast that on the Lord? I know that sounds sort of flippant, like, oh, Jesus, take it. But like, the thing is, we have to be shaped and formed by the hand of God to actually do that. We're, we're We're talking about love in such broad and general terms. I want to be very clear. Loving your neighbor is the highest fathomable standard. I'm not talking about something easy. So would you throw yourself on the mercy of Christ and say, King of glory, come. Help me. Help me. When the emotions are running and the anger is building and the the frustration is there or the fear is there, the panic is resident, help me, King Jesus, help me. Okay. I will say a prayer and then we'll have a moment. Uh, we'll worship together. So King Jesus, uh, we're really glad to be yours. We're, we're grateful that you've shown us how to live and we get to follow you in obedience. Not because we're afraid of what happens if we don't, because, but because we're grateful that we've already been declared righteous in spite of our flaws. Lord, for those who have put perhaps their belief in you but not their faith I pray that you would meet them in that right now they just place their faith in you it's just a matter of surrender Lord whatever you say goes that's it I'm all in whatever you say and for those of us who are struggling to love well Jesus Christ friend of sinners have mercy on us shape us and help us Lord We need you so much. Please help us. Not because we're afraid, but because we're grateful. We want to live well for you. We want to do what you say is important. Please help us love well.